And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Ian Stone, this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We're joined today by an attacking lineup. We have The Athletic front three of Amy Lawrence, James McNicholas, and Art de Roche. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, Ian. Happy New Year. I'm just wondering Year, enough, in, in our front three, which one of us is Willian? Well, and we'll get to that, certainly. Uh, before we start uh, all that, um, we were wondering about New Year's resolutions. I've never personally made a New Year's resolution in my life, although I did make that one this year that I want to uh, give more money to donkeys because I think I've seen enough of those adverts to last me a lifetime. Uh, but uh, that's pretty much it. That's something attainable, I feel. But in terms of uh, New Year's resolutions for the players or the manager uh, of Arsenal, I wondered what your thoughts were. Amy, I'll come to you first. Uh, I would resolve to never buy uh, a veteran player from Chelsea ever again. <laughs> Do you know what? That's fair enough, isn't it, really? James, can you top that? I was actually thinking of Emil Smith-Rowe and I was thinking I would devoid my house of any sharp objects. You know, don't run with scissors, wear a bubble wrap onesie. Anything that he can do to prevent himself sustaining an injury would be great. So it did sound a little bit like Emil Smith-Rowe's living at your house, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> you're talking about his house, I'm assuming. His I'm house, assuming, yeah. is he living with his parents, by the way? I mean, he's a kid, isn't he? I imagine it, you're, you're, you're putting out a shout-out to his mum and dad here to go... Yeah, keep, please, keep look him after safe. him. Keep him safe at all costs, absolutely. Yeah, that's fair. That sounds fair enough. Uh, Art, what about you? A New Year's resolution for a player and uh, or a manager? Mine's to Hector Bellerin, and he's kind of started on it already, but it's to stop the foul throws, <laughs> and mm. hopefully that can continue for the rest of the new year. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's That sounds perfectly uh, logical. I'm not sure if it's attainable, though, but we'll see how <laughs> we go. Uh, mine's for Mesut Ozil. It's uh, go away to somewhere else. Um and that might be harsh, but I've just... Uh, I'm, and we are going to talk about him, by the way, because I know, James, that you have uh, written a piece about what now for Ozil, and we can go mm. through it, uh, hopefully for the last time. But I sort of feel like we might be revisiting this a few more times before the end of the season. <laughs> um, now, the last time we did a podcast was uh, before Christmas. <laughs> we, were, we were just discussing this. We were 15th and in Tier 3, if you don't live in... Uh, in England or in Britain, uh, basically, it was one of the the less stringent uh, um, coronavirus tiers where we could, um, I don't know, shops were open a little bit and uh, uh, commerce could continue. Obviously, things have got worse while Arsenal have got better. Um, I was wondering what had changed since our last podcast. Uh, Amy, do you think it's us? <laughs> Art and James, I think, know what knows what's coming here. But uh, we discussed this the other day when we were having a bit of a chat about what we were doing this week. And uh, I do take some responsibility 
um, for the changing fortunes because on the morning of the Chelsea game, uh, I got up to prepare breakfast for my kids and the plates that came out of the um, the plate area for them. Uh, and when I saw they were both blue plastic plates, I promptly said, oh, no, and threw them back in and took out a more appropriate colour. And I, I do think that played a part, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, the other thing, James, uh, we know that... Uh, that uh, Willian uh, caught COVID or certainly was, was uh, near someone who had COVID and had to self-isolate and suddenly couldn't be in the team. And that brought some of the younger players in. Um, do you think it was luck or judgment on Mikel Arteta's part? I have to say, I think it's luck. I, I don't believe if you spoke to Mikel Arteta a month ago and said, this is what your team's going to be and you're going to have Emil Smith-Rowe at the heart of it as your number 10, you're going to have Saka on the right wing, Lacazette's going to be in there as the man sort of holding it all together in the front four. I don't think that was the plan. Um, and I think that circumstance forced his hand a little bit. You mentioned Willian being ill, but there were other players out too. Aubameyang had a calf strain. Uh, that forced Martinelli in quite earlier than expected. Uh, so I think he has kind of ended up here a little bit by accident. And I think what will be really interesting is is how he, what he does at this point. I think that happens to all managers. You know, players get injured. It happened to Arsene Wenger plenty of times where a player stepped in and suddenly seemed irreplaceable. And I think... The manager's skill is is judgment, is knowing which way the wind is blowing, is being able to sense that momentum, to lean into it and to, you know, build on that. And I think that's what Arteta needs to do. He's been given a lifeline, really, by finding a formula that works. And I think if he was to revert back to what we were doing before, you know, I think there'd be a, a real cost to that for him. Oh, I mean, I mean, I know what James was saying about the which way the wind is blowing. There's a blooming hurricane going that way now. <laughs> surely, I mean, how is it possible for him not to see that what we've got now is coherent? I mean, I'm going to talk to you in the second half about the piece you wrote about your what 2020 was like and your wish for 2021 was more coherent football. Well, we've got it, haven't we? Yeah, I think the answers finally forming. Obviously, there's a few places in the team that will still need to kind of get filled by more uh i guess just better players full stop yes. but in in those uh positions where there were real problems where willian wasn't making movements off the ball where a lot of his passes were either sideways or backwards there's now Bukayo Saka who is a self-starter when he's on that right wing it's quite uh refreshing to see someone that will just if he decides to uh, go around the outside of his marker. And then you've got Emil Smith-Rowe, who uh, I've, I did write a piece about before he did get into the team, about how he's very quick with uh, his decision-making, how he receives the ball and what he does off the ball. It's so simple, but so effective at the same time. Yeah. And I think just building on that is going to be so important for the rest of Arsenal's season. And with the FA Cup coming up, I'm guessing there may be a little bit of rotation to save those players. Uh, we saw that with Martinelli at uh, West Brom, where, of course, because he's he's only just come back from his injury and he's already playing so, so often. But I think that those three are the core. And then you've got a few others like Kieran Tierney, of course, yeah. Alex, Alex Lacazette, that also kind of form that basis for a formula to go forward. 
Uh, Amy, I, I was looking on Twitter, as I often do, uh, and, and somebody did a tweet about how Arsenal WhatsApp groups are essentially everyone just going, how good is Bukayo Saka uh, at the moment? I know we've talked about him extensively, but certainly the last few games, those Christmas games, I mean, for he made such an impact. Uh, how good could he be, this kid? He's just wonderful now. Uh, I think it's joyous watching him play. And what has been incredible to me is how since he's come in, um, the trajectory of his sort of performances just seems to be rising and or at least very, very consistent. Uh, Sometimes with young players, they have a little bit of a dip. Um, But the way that he's been carrying uh, a troubled team for quite a long time is remarkable for a boy of his age and I think what serves him so well is that he was always regarded when he was young as um, as a really good lad you know a really nice boy from a good family I think he's very steady uh, he's not allowing things to get you know to his head um, he seems to just be able to manage being vital from a very young age uh, and having a load of responsibility on his shoulders. And it's not phasing him, it's not worrying him. Um, his ability as well to do different things, you know, we've seen him play in so many different positions over uh, the year or so that he's been around the team. But to see him sort of being so explosive as well uh, and doing different things uh, in and around the box is so uh interesting i think to people who saw him when he was a young player i think when he was at the academy he used his speed to uh to be the best player he was always quick and if you are quick it's a hell of an advantage in football and as he's got older i think he realized that he had to add more to that if he was going to keep progressing and his game intelligence is the thing that maybe wasn't at the forefront of his game when he was younger but he's added that the more he plays, the more he grows, the more he develops. He seems to be adding um, quality of decisions, quality of execution, and it's making him um, just put in sort of stellar performances week after week. And I still think that one of the best things that happened last year was him signing a new contract because I was quite yeah. fearful that he might uh, be tempted away. And his contract came quite close to the end uh, before the renewal. And it was a huge thing for Arsenal Football Club that he committed himself to the next few years. That little burst of pace when um, when Lacazette played it to uh, Emile Smith-Rowe against West Brom and Saka saw what was happening. And there was a two-yard uh, uh, bit where he just accelerated and got into that position. It was lovely to watch. That being said, James, what does that do for Nicola Pepe? It's not great for him, I have to say. I mean, you know, against West Brom, Arsenal were well on top and you thought this might be a, an opportunity for Pepe to get on get himself a goal. Instead, it was Willian who came off the bench. And right now, the way things are, you know, in Arteta's mind, Pepe probably is the third choice player from that right, for that right wing spot. Um, Saka has been brilliant there. You know, I think he's exceeded all expectations in that role. It's not one he'd played a great deal before uh, and he's really, really shone. Um, so yeah, it's not good for Pepe at all. And I think it's weird because it's only a few weeks ago 
that we were all so frustrated to lose him due to suspension and he was sort of lighting up the, the Europa League games and we're thinking he might come into the team and inject some life and then suddenly, you know how fast football moves, especially at present with the games coming so thick and fast, it feels like uh, they're slightly clanging on him. I'm sure that's not the case. I'm sure there'll be opportunities between now and the end of the season. But I do have this nagging feeling that the writing may be on the wall for him, that Mikel Arteta's mind about this player might be made up and maybe with this new pecking order, there's not going to be enough opportunity for him to to dissuade him of that opinion. No, no. Um, oh, I want to ask you about the defending uh, as well. Uh, we'll get to Kieran Tierney because I think we, we all discussed this before and talked about him being a, a cult hero in the making. I, I think he's already made it with that goal against West Brom. But um, oh, in terms of uh, the centre-back pairing, um, Rob Holding uh, passing into midfield quite a bit um, it, uh, it obviously is under instruction from the manager to get the ball forward, but it seems to be working. But Pablo Mari is doing a, a quietly efficient job as well, is he not? Yeah, I've been quite impressed by Pablo Mari. I think the first time I properly watched him was when he was getting his first minutes at the club for the under-23s. I remember he played against uh, Chelsea's under-23s at Meadow Park. And I think there, the first thing you kind of notice with him is Yes, he may not be the quickest centre-back, but he does read the game quite well. And I think that's something that's translated to his performances so far uh, with the first team. I think we saw that when he had his first minutes under Arteta last season. And we're seeing that again when he was playing in the Europa League and now in the Premier League. And next to Rob Holden, and I think the pair of them have d- done very well together. They're both quite reliable in the sense that um, the the defending they've had to do hasn't been particularly hard, but they're there to do the job and they don't switch off, which is which is something that hasn't been able to we haven't been able to say about Arsenal defenders consistently over the past few years. And I think that's something that uh, will uh, excite Arsenal fans going forward. And you've got to remember as well that that Gabriel still needs to come back from his his absence as well. So I think it's encouraging times, but they have to back it up over a longer period of time. Uh, Amy, I I, can't, I asked you about uh, Bukayo Saka, and one of the things that people were talking about, about the changes in this team, and the fact that him and uh, Kieran Tierney were on opposite sides of the pitch. Mm. Uh, Kieran Tierney uh, has just, as we said, become really a cult hero very, very quickly uh, in this team. He's a future Arsenal captain, isn't he? Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, but I, I'm not sure that's at the forefront of his mind. I, I think he's a sort of Arsenal legend in the making. I'm I not sure I care whether he's captain or not. I'm not as bothered about the captaincy issue being a sort of defining characteristic of how important somebody is. Um, but I don't like swearing too much, but I thought that was a real fuck off goal, if you know what I mean, that he scored the other day. It was something about... Um, <laughs> It was just that it was just before he took the touch to 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 sort of make his way towards the box, and uh, I I just thought he just had a look and thought I'm bloody going for this, and um, it was it was a, a wonderful moment. And in fact, what was very uh, I think what made people so elated about the West Brom game, quite apart from the fact that it's always a pleasure to see Sam Allardyce realise it's not even worth chewing gum. Um, is is that the, those first two goals made you sort of euphoric in completely different ways, um, and the and the way Kieran Tierney had that sort of personal determination 
to just uh, he reminded me a lot of Nigel Winterburn in that moment for those yes. uh, of a certain vintage who was a, mm. another player who was quite no nonsense um unbelievably consistent uh never lost seemed to lose a battle in the decades that he played for the club I mean a one-on-one -on -one duel I would put my house on Nigel Winterburn um he was always up for the up for the fight against anyone and I just think there are certain characteristics that if you have that in your team, quite apart from your technical ability, um, it's really helpful. And I think Tierney's quite interesting to be, he's not quite one of the kids, but he's not exactly one of the sort of old guard either. He's 23 years old and yes. that feels still quite young in footballing terms, but he's done an awful lot in those footballing years that he's had already. And uh, so he's got he's got a bit more um, in the tank maybe than the, the the kid kids, but he's also got so much ahead of him. Um, I mean, and that's a thing where you think, frighteningly almost, he could get better. Never mind Saka and Smith Rowe, and you know there are he's an evolving player, um, but he looked so comfortable to be back in that sort of left back role, even though he feels in very effectively at left wing back. I just think he's a huge, huge asset for Arsenal. Um, and the example that he sets by the way that he plays and conducts himself is class. And the more players of that ilk that you can get around the place, the more chance you've got of forming something with a real chance of making progress. The example he sets by dressing himself, to be honest with you. I mean, obviously everyone else came out and thought, oh, we need three tops here and gloves and tights. He went, no, no, short sleeve shirt will do. Uh, bless him. Uh, if you're looking for the best in in-depth sports writing around, The Athletic has got you covered. We have a special January discount for you. Get a subscription for less than £4 a month when you sign up. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. Uh, so obviously 2020 ended pretty well and we're hoping that 2021 will be a bit more fun, although obviously we did win the FA Cup, but I think everyone knows uh, what I mean. Um, what do we need to make 2021 a success? The, the transfer window is open at the moment. James, I'll come to you first. I mean, there's only really is Bundia and uh, Isco, and that's about it. Do you think either of those are going to happen? And do you think they would help? I don't think either of those are going to happen. Um, famous last words, you never you never quite know what Arsenal are going to do in the transfer market. But with Buendia, you know, Norwich are in the middle of a promotion push that stands to win them, you know, tens, maybe hundreds of millions of pounds. I think, you know, they're going to be very stubborn about letting their best player go midway through the season. Uh, Isco, I think that's more the right profile in terms of the fact that he'd be a loan signing. I think that's probably more probable. I think Arsenal will be really reluctant to commit themselves to a, a player unless they're convinced he's a long-term solution. I think if they bring anyone in, the loan market might be how they do it. But to be honest, what I'm looking at uh, in the January window is the outgoings, Colin. Yeah. yeah, and I think... Arsenal have made a decent start in that respect. They've loaned out Sayed Kolasinac. Uh, William Saliba has got his overdue loan move to get him, go and play some first-team football with Nice. Uh, and I think th there might be one or two more departures on the way. And I think that's a really, really important job. I mean, this squad is too big. I think it's difficult to keep a big squad happy. And I think Arsenal have suffered a little bit for that. So 
I almost think that's as much of a priority as bringing in this possible creative player. Oh, there was talk about Eddie and Ketia uh, going. What What are your views on that? I'm not so sure on that one, just because even though Lacazette has hit form and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has been used more centrally uh, at times, of course, he's been moved back out to the wing in the most recent game against West Brom. If you do let him go, even if it is for a loan, you're quite short in that position. Yes, there, there's going to be a lot of calls for uh, Plogan to be given a chance, but considering he hasn't had that chance in the Premier League yet, I'm not sure Mikel Arteta would want to throw him in if it wasn't by accident, like how uh, James was saying earlier with Smith Rowe and uh, Bukayo Saka moving out to the right wing. I'm not sure he'd want to do that straight away. So with Nketiah, we've seen how last season he was fighting uh, quite literally uh, Lacazette for the starting striker spot and did it quite well (laughs) um, for for most of 2020. Of course, there was that dip uh, later on in the year, but I don't think we can forget that for a large chunk of the year, he was Arsenal's starting striker. And there is reason for that because he had the energy that Lacazette didn't have at those times and was able to properly put teams under pressure. And I think that's something to keep in mind for this month anyway, and that maybe a loan may be better suited next season where there's a, a whole summer to plan. Hopefully we don't know. <laughs> we don't know how that's going to look at the moment, yeah. but um, when there's a better time to plan out the, um, how the next season is going to go, I think that may be a better possibility then. Yeah, I, Amy, I, just on the subject of Eddie Nketiah, I remember he played that, um, uh, was it a League Cup game against Norwich when he came on and scored a couple of goals and the whole crowd were chanting his name when we used to get 60,000 for the uh, for the League Cup a few seasons ago and you really felt a star was born that night. But is it fair to say he hasn't quite kicked on? Maybe. Uh, I mean, he's had quite a, a lot of opportunities, which um, he's probably had, apart from Saka, the most regular game time and, and, and chances, even though he's had to work for that. But I would feel that, uh, just listening to what Art was saying before, I think the only thing that might change things, and while I totally get what he was saying about if Eddie went, that it would leave um, things a bit light in that department. But I think that there's so few financial offers on the table for players. Uh, and the fact that even those who have gone on loan, we've uh, Arsenal have waived loan fees, which you would normally be um, having as a requirement of any such deal kind of makes me wonder if somebody does come in with proper money uh, he's 18 months on, on his contract left that it might be something that Arsenal find that they can't refuse so that's the I don't know how re- how real and genuine possible bids are but if a bid was financially interesting enough I can imagine that in this market it might be something they seriously consider. And if that means throwing in Balogun for the remainder of the season when there are chances to play, well, the way that he's taken his little snippets of action so far suggests that that would be interesting. And the way that the majority of players have stepped up into the Premier League, um, obviously, Emile Smith-Rowe is the shining example of one where, for whatever reason, it's taken time to get that chance. But it's it's uh, worked out beautifully so it's possible that that would be 
more tempting than people think. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be talking uh, about some of the ones to watch uh, in a short while. Before we do that, uh, FA Cup weekend this weekend. Uh, oh, I want to come to you first um, as a young uh, member of the, uh, uh, of the Handbrake podcast. Do you feel the same love for the FA Cup that I'm assuming uh, Amy and James do? I think so. I think with the way that Arsenal have kind of returned to glory in that competition over the last few years there's definitely an affinity I have with it and I think most people around my age group would um I think not just because of the fact that Arsenal have won it but also because you get to see younger players given those chances I think uh for me it's not just the FA Cup I do like all the cup competitions really because they, they offer something different, something that you won't just see every week. And I think at clubs, not just Arsenal, I think most top clubs, you would get that. And I think that's where um, the value comes in. And then, of course, you've got the more special ties where you're playing teams you wouldn't really uh, normally play against. And that's also something that's quite special as well. Uh, We're playing Newcastle uh, this weekend. Um, one of our classic FA Cup matches uh, was against Newcastle in 1998. Uh, Arsenal's uh, Arsenal's first season, first full season uh, in charge. Uh, Nicholas and Elka, Mark Overmars scored the goals. Mark Overmars uh, won me um, £120 on a correct score double uh, as well, by the way. <laughs> and um, my first son was born the day after. It was a pretty good weekend uh, all round. Uh, where, uh, Amy, James, were either of you there? Yeah, it was um, it was beautiful, boiling. It was one of those days when where, uh, the colours uh, inside Wembley seemed brighter than ever. The sun was blaring down. It was really, really hot, and it was a closer game, I think, than than people remember. Newcastle were they had Alan Shearer playing up front, and uh, a half decent team behind him. And uh, I think Shearer had one chance that was unbelievable at one point in the game, which maybe would have Hit made it post. 1-1. Um, post, yeah. But uh, the thing I remember about that really, it was, you know, it was the double. It wasn't just the cup final, it was the double. And mm-hmm. for those of us of a certain age, and I was born in 71, so grew up with the, the original double being such a huge part of uh, Arsenal's heritage. And imagining that your t- your team might win the double. I mean, it had not been done that often ever. 
Uh, Tottenham had done it in um, 61, Arsenal in 71, uh, Liverpool had done it in the late 80s. Um, but apart from that, it was extremely rare. So and it was just something about was the quite zeitgeist feeling of that of that time when uh, Arsenal seemed to be at the forefront of great sweeping changes in English football, where it was that sort of sweet spot of the mixture between sort of old fashioned English traditional ideas of football with the kind of slight sort of airs of sophistication and and flair and flamboyance uh, and, and uh, technical accomplishment that was coming in from the continent. Um, so that team embodied that because you had the old, you had Dave Seaman in the back four, yes. Ray Parler and 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 uh, Ian Wright, although he was uh, uh, injured, I think, for that cup final. Um, and Henson Elka played, and and then you had uh, the the wonders of Vieira and Petit in midfield. Mark Overmars was a miraculous signing. Uh, and the the joy of seeing a youthful Anelka was just sort of seventeen when he came in and just took the Premier League by such sensational um, uh, the way that he had that electric speed the way he took shots so early he had this he was a shy boy Anelka uh, at that time he was very quiet around the training ground and when you put him on the pitch he was just killing teams um, and that blend was so exciting. And it was what was going on in English football and Arsenal were leading the way and they won the double uh, on a beautiful sunny day. And um, it felt like nothing could be better, to be honest, at, the, at that sort of a time. There was a feeling of history and the future all in that one game. Quite. And uh, Tony Adams, didn't he, um, he quoted uh, when Dennis Burkamp got injured, oh no, the Messiah is injured. Um but it turns out Overmars and Anelka did the job for us. They did, but there's a little story about Bergkamp, which um, I, I might drop in here. Uh, somehow that night, I ended up gate crashing the players' party after the <laughs> cup final, Excellent. which was at uh, the St Albans Hotel that was sort of base camp to Arsenal at the time, Sopwell House. I just remember that um, Ian Wright, who had, you know, this... Premier League and FA Cup medals sort of round us. I, know, I don't think anyone was ever happier to win the Premier League than Ian Wright, by the way. And he had his no. shirt under. It was almost like they were like medallions, his medals. He was so happy. And noticeably, Dennis Bergkamp was not that happy. And he was kind of sat in the corner um, looking a little bit glum. And a lot of the players were having a right old night, but Dennis wasn't. And somebody spoke to Dennis's wife, Henrita, who mentioned that he and was like, is Dennis all right? And it was like, well, he doesn't really feel because he didn't play. He doesn't really feel like he should join in the celebrations. And everybody was like, well, this is ridiculous. Like there's no no way Arsenal would be here without Dennis. This would not be happening without Dennis. Like he's the man. He's the messiah. Um, so a few people sort of as if it wasn't too obvious, but like every now and again, one by one, someone would go up to Dennis in the corner and say, Dennis, thanks, you know, you were unbelievable. <laughs> this would not be happening without you. And uh, come on, you know, trying to sort of bring him into it, if you like. And then yes. after a while, he, he realised that it was, it was as if he had to um, appreciate that he was allowed to celebrate this game that he hadn't taken part in. 
Well, we celebrated it. <laughs> that was perfectly fair for us. Uh, James, I mean, you were you, you were a kid at this point, but mm-hmm. you obviously realised the significance of what was going on. Yeah, it was massive. And I mean, it launched, uh, you know, probably the most successful period of my being an Arsenal fan that I could, yes. that I was uh, of my lifetime. You know, it was it was uh, an amazing thing, and to do the double in that style, like like Amy says, it wasn't just the league; it was the double. And you know, the, the FA Cup, it, Newcastle, Arsenal were the favourites, of course, but it did feel like a real coronation um, and a, a crowning moment for Arsene Wenger. And I, even if I, as a fan, felt conflicted on the day because I was such a big Ian Wright fan. Do you know what I mean? I was such an admirer of him, but it was Nicholas Anelka who who got the start and got the goal. And uh, I, I sort of was a bit torn up about that. But I was just thinking about our, our FA Cup win last year. And it's strange, isn't it? Every time you reflect on 2020, you know, the instinct is, is understandably to be so negative about it. It almost feels a bit lost in there you know amidst some either side of it there's some quite poor runs of form from this Arsenal team and obviously there were no fans there I do wonder in years to come how will we look back on that FA Cup victory will it will it always feel different because of the context I mean that's a very interesting question and Art I mean I can ask you this because obviously you've listened to old people bang on about a game (laughs) before you were born or something Um, but last year I mean I've read your piece uh, which we can talk about uh, um, about last season and highlights and lowlights and obviously one the the big highlight the big plus was the FA Cup win. Um, it still felt like a big moment, didn't it? Yeah, I think the fact that Arsenal had beaten Manchester City in the semi final, Liverpool in the league a couple of days before, and then went on to come from actually come from behind and beat Chelsea in the FA Cup final. I do still feel like it. It felt like a big win at the time, Um, especially with what was riding on it, because no Europa League qualification. I know that's if you told somebody that maybe even five years ago, they'd kind of look at you quite strangely. But without that and then having to qualify for that through the the FA Cup, I don't think um, that should be underestimated, considering how important that has been for Mikel Arteta this season the Europa League and I think in the grand scheme of things it may not seem like the most impressive FA Cup final win uh, in the last 10 years from Arsenal but uh, I do still feel like it was an important day for the club to move forward uh, even if there have been a few uh, rocky moments that have come after that in the more immediate future. Yeah, quite. A couple of bumps in the road. Uh, I guess that's true. By the way, on this day uh, in 2012, uh, Thierry Henry uh, turned up for the second time and went on to have uh, quite an impact uh, on a third round tie uh, against Leeds. I mean, we have talked about this uh, quite a bit. I don't know if anyone wants to uh, add anything in particular. It was one of the one of the best things I've ever seen uh, at the Emirates. Possibly the best thing, aside from the Barcelona goal. James, would you concur? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we should give uh, our obligatory plug for Tyre's brilliant audio show about it. Um, Return of the King. Look it up. I think it's on our blog somewhere. Yes. Well, there you go. We have given Tyo the uh, uh, plug for uh, an excellent uh, programme about a wonderful day. Uh, hopefully there'll be uh, a few more of them with crowds in uh, at some point soon. This 
is uh, Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast uh, brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, Ian Stone here with James McNicholas, Art de Roche and Amy Lawrence. Um, James, you've written a piece uh, about uh, Alexander Lacazette. Um, I mean, he does seem to have been revitalised um, in the last few games. And is it as simple as uh, he's just got some willing kids uh, happy to do some running for him and he can just do what he does, which is shield the ball very well and lay it off and then get into position to get goals? <sighs> Without wishing to be reductive, I think that is a large chunk of it. You know, I think that's a hefty slice of it. He really has been rejuvenated by having those younger legs around him. The space in which he's operating has been reduced. You know, instead of trying to be the guy who's winning the ball in the centre circle and then trying to get up into the six-yard box to finish off chances, he's operating more at the edge of the penalty area, which I think he's happier. I think it sort of reduces the demands on his stamina. So I think that helps him. Also, confidence. Confidence is a massive thing. And for strikers... You know, goals bring that. And he's got, what is it, five in the last four. Um, he's hit a bit of form. And you can just see, you know, he's he looks lighter physically and emotionally. And so I think, you know, he's, he's in, he's in a, a rich vein of form at the moment. But I do think as well that it's worth stepping back and looking at his general contribution to the season. I mean, he started the season, I think, with three and three. He's comfortably Arsenal's top scorer this season, albeit in a season with very little competition. Uh, and I think, you know, he, d he did have a significant dip in the middle, but I think his general contribution has been maybe a little bit better than he's had credit for. Yeah. Uh, uh, Amy, I mean, I saw James did a little um, tweet um, about how um, <laughs> he said he's saying it quietly on Twitter, but Alexander Lacazette works better in the number nine position than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Uh, I don't know how much <laughs> abuse you got for that, James, but Amy, I I'm inclined to agree with him. They're, they're, they've always been different players stylistically and Lacazette, I think, has always uh, been a, a, a more natural sort of orthodox number nine Back fit. to goal sort of guy. Yeah, in that he can hold the ball up well. He'll, he'll go and um, track back and, and make himself a nuisance uh, to try and harass a centre-half on the ball or someone in midfield and win the ball back and he, he bringing others into play. Um, it's just that he went through a really harrowing goal drought. Uh, and it, even though he had bits and bobs of goals, I mean, you know, over a sort of quite longish period, um, he, he, he definitely lost this mojo. And you could see that it was quite frustrating and maybe even embarrassing for him. I mean, I just think that it's really hard when you're in a high profile club to be a striker that is missing chances. And um, you can see that he's liberated. He's liberated in himself and he's liberated in the context of the team and the players around him. And um, it allows him to, I think, was it, there's the stat that said he'd made, played a pass with, you know, every combined with every, with every other player in the team. I thought it was quite telling. Um, that shows us more sort of generosity about his game and more kind of, more kind of confidence to be involved something if you when you're struggling for form you tend to do the the less risky thing you know just play maybe with the person who's really close to me um but if he's if he's uh collaborating with everyone that's great and so long as the goal so long as the goals keep coming for him um then i think he serves a really really valuable purpose for this team 
Yeah, quite. I mean, I uh, I watched him at one point in the West Brom game come back into the middle of his own half and win the ball and then set off on an attack. And that is what we want to see yeah, from I think him, right? Earlier, a couple of weeks earlier, we saw him used in that more number 10 role behind Aubameyang, where I think, yeah, in the Europa League. And then I think with that, even though he had the technical abilities to do that, you then have to have the physical attributes to back that up. And I don't think over a 90-minute spell that helped him. Whereas now he's got Smith Rowe behind him to do more of that job. And then when he does decide to drop back in, I think he, he's just a lot fresher, which obviously helps him, but also helps just the helps the team and the fact that he laid on that pass to smith row for for the uh for the second goal at west bromwich Albion, that's great that he's doing that i'm glad he got goals but i want him to set things up as well yeah and i think when you look at albamiang in that role it's not a slight on him but it's just that lacazette is better at doing that i think against brighton there were two uh examples i remember where Aubameyang gets the ball while Arsenal on the counter-attack and he just kind of stumbles over the ball. And those stumbles may only take a couple of seconds out of the game, but it kills the move. Whereas with Lacazette, he's quite sharp in the fact that he can set the ball for himself and then move it out. And I think that's something that makes a real difference uh, when Arsenal are going forward and has helped a lot in, in recent weeks. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. James, you wrote a piece uh entitled What Next for Mesut Ozil. Uh, there is talk about uh, a possible move to Fenerbahce. There's also talk about a move to America. Um, how do you see this being resolved? Will it be resolved in January? I think there's a long way to go before that can be the case. I mean, 
you know, America and Turkey are are definitely among the options for Özil, and I actually think of the two, probably Turkey looks slightly more likely at present. But there are so many hoops to jump through here. You know, Özil's not reached an agreement with Arsenal regarding the remainder of his contract. Uh, those talks would have to be held. They'd have to prove successful. I think he, I think the situation has moved slightly in that he's always been very determined, very intransigent that he would remain until the end of his contract. Obviously, with him being excluded from the, the Premier League squad, the Europa League squad, and with that situation not looking particularly likely to change, that does change things for him a little. And I think if the right opportunity is available and if everybody's happy, there's a chance. But I wouldn't... Uh, I mean, I know from what you said at the top of the show, you're in a hurry for it to get sorted out ASAP. Yeah. I wouldn't get your hopes up too much, quite yet. Uh, Amy... Do you think that things have changed for him now with the emergence of Emil Smith-Rowe in that sort of position? He thinks he's really not going to get a chance? Uh, I think his um, deteriorating relationship with Arsenal is not impacted by other players. It's a personal thing between the two of them. Um, and I think everything James says makes plenty of sense. If, you, if I was to back my gut, uh, I'd say that he may well, I mean, with uh, six months left on this contract, the famous contract, this is a point at which you can arrange transfer for the summer uh, and announce it. Um, and it would make sense for that those talks to be happening now. Uh, but I would be much more surprised if things are accelerated to get an actual move done this January because there's so much to gain uh, from... Meza Ozil in terms of his contractual situation by waiting to the end of his deal. So if that does change, it does show the desire to play actually um, cracks and supersedes the desire to stand his ground in this battle that he's had with Arsenal. Because to stay to the end of the deal um, brings sort of rewards. That's not totally unusual that you know, things are, you know, you get almost a loyalty bonus for um, <laughs> seeing a, a deal through to its entirety and, yeah. and not being tempted away in the meantime. Um, so in order to kind of like, you know, those things have to be sorted. And as James says, it'd be a, a lot to sort out quite quickly. And as um, was evidenced by last summer's transfer activity, when they were very um, focused on bringing in Thomas Partey and, the loan for Saliba fell through at the last, which was really a dismal state of affairs for this young man. I'm so glad that he's getting the opportunity to go and play football now. Um, going back to your New Year's resolutions, one wish I do have for this year is that Saliba gets a break and gets a chance to show what he can do and ideally does really, really well and comes back to Arsenal and can be that future great player everyone was hoping for that'd be great i mean james just built my hopes up so massively on this podcast a few months ago talking about william saliva <laughs> and uh, i think all our hopes uh, that uh, that will happen what amy said um by the way all, in, in terms of all the transfers um Ornstein and chapman's uh, podcast on the athletic you can hear uh, all through january uh, any of the news uh, that might be around one more thing are on on uh, mesit Ozil. you know what he's honoring his contract and he's uh, and there's no reason for him not uh, to do that and he just wanted to point out what a great player he was and it was a bit sad that the way this has ended and i think 
we all feel that a little bit. Yeah, I think even last season when he was playing, especially under Mikel Arteta, because of course he had that little spell with Unai Emery where he wasn't playing. But when he was playing under Mikel Arteta, you still felt that kind of electricity when he was on the pitch. The best kind of example of that, I think, was it the first half he had against Chelsea at the Emirates. That was one of the best performances of that season, I think. And then it's all come come to an end quite quickly. And I think it's quite fitting that his last appearance for Arsenal, well, what looks like is going to be his last appearance, he did uh, lay on a, an assist for Alexandre Lacazette. And yeah, I think he's been a player that I've loved to watch since he signed for the club in 2013. And uh, it's going to be a shame not to see him uh, pull on that Arsenal shirt anymore, but it is what it is, and uh, we've all got to move on. Can, can I just ask quickly on, on Mesut Ozil, if, if he doesn't leave in January and they can't come to an agreement on that, and he is still an Arsenal player for the remainder of the season, and Arsenal finish the transfer window with spaces in their squad, you know, and having maybe struggled to bring in an, an, a creative midfielder to opt as, uh, to act as a kind of rotation option for Emil Smith-Rowe, does anybody think... Arsenal should register Ozil and and use him. I do. I don't think they'll do it, but I think they probably should. (laughs) From a personal point of view, I would, but I don't think they will. (laughs) No, is Mm. my short answer to that. I think he's disruptive Mm. and I think it's time to move on. Stop. Um, And as you said in your piece, James, by the way, the last time we we based uh, any sort of hopes on a 32-year-old uh, it didn't work out that well, did it? Really, mm. let's be fair. If we're talking about Willie Ann here, so um, no. No, but I think there's just I think there's just more a sense of uh, practicality, which is uh, if you have space in your squad, um, and the reason that he was left out obviously is because there was a surplus amount of players. Same with Socrates, same with Saliba. Um, but if there is space, then and it, it, I think obviously huge amounts depend on whether or not Arsenal manage to get somebody in on loan. If they do, then that changes everything. Um, but if they don't, are you realistically expecting Emil Smith Rowe to play and play well to keep get that system, keep that system that's been successful recently going for the entire remainder of the season? Are you realistically expecting Mesut Ozil to come in and do anything uh, if if he comes in instead of Emil Smith Rowe? Because I haven't seen any uh, any evidence of that in the last two years. I think. I mean, I think that is a, a, an interesting point. I mean, he hasn't played a ninety minutes really, you know, of comp- in a competitive game since Western. March. Yeah. Um, so we don't know. Although he's been training with the team, we don't know what sort of uh, you know match fitness, if any, he would have at this point. Um, difficult to say, isn't it? It is It is a very, very difficult issue and I'm sure Mikel Arteta is wrestling with it. And as you say, if... if I don't um, think he is, well, so I just don't well, think want to have him in. No, he's wrestling with the fact that there are people who think that he should uh, maybe bring him in. Quite a uh, a sizable minority, I, I think, who, who want him to come back. Uh, we shall see um, what happens. Uh, let's have a song uh, before we go. Amy, do you have a song for us? Uh, based on the last three games, Martin Giraud, <laughs> Revival. Reflections 
have to look that one up though, got to be honest with you. Uh, James, what have you got? Well, I had my Britpop playlist on the other day, and uh, talking about the 90s, and uh, we are young, we are free, etc, etc. That's reminded me of Arsenal, so we're all right. Uh, is it called We're All Right? Supergrass. 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 All right. But I think as well, all right is a good thing, because I, I don't want to get carried away with this Arsenal team. You no. know, we're not brilliant, but we're not awful anymore. We're all right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Lovely. Uh, Art, what about you? Since it's transfer season and there's a lot of noise <laughs> that's going to happen throughout the month, I'm going to go with Pusha T. If you know, you know. Okay. And uh, oh, I'm having uh, feeling good. I was going to pick the Nina Simone one, but I like something a bit more uh, thrashy. So I'm going to go for the Muse version. Um, if you don't mind. Uh, by the way, we do have uh, an email address uh, now if you wish to get in touch. Handbrakeoffpod uh, at gmail.com. That's handbrakeoffpod at gmail.com. Send you your questions, observations, song suggestions or whatever Arsenal-related stuff you fancy. We'll read out the best stuff on the subsequent podcast. You can also, by the way, contact any of us on Twitter. Uh, Ian D. Stone. Amy Lawrence 71 and Gunner Blog and Art De Roche. Um, that's it. Uh, well, I mean, listen, if we keep winning while we're not podcasting, maybe we should leave it for a few months and just come back in March or April. But we're not going to do that. We'll be back uh, next week. Thank you to Amy. Thank you to Art. Thank you to James. And thank you to Tabapula, our producer. I'm Ian Stone. This has been the Handbrake of Podcast. See you soon. Mm-hmm.